Welcome to Richard Bay Talk, and it would be a shame if you missed this podcast because this podcast is about shame and shame in politics. These days we have uh, all sorts of criticisms about fat shaming and age shaming and slut shaming, and uh, but do we even have shame anymore in our system? Uh, that's one of the things we'll be talking about. Okay, there, there are two kinds of shame. One would be one that's imposed upon by society, like uh, in Game of Thrones, when they shaved the, the queen's head and threw dung at her while she marched through the crowd. Or in the American tradition, the Scarlet Letter, um, the young girl who was shamed and had to wear an A everywhere she went for adultery. And then there is internal shame, shame you feel because you have a conscience. Um, Albert, are there things that you're ashamed about? Uh, not very many, no. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I can't really think of, of any. <laughs> I, I, I can think of things I'm embarrassed by. Yeah, yeah. I'm, in, I'm embarrassed that last week I made three mistakes on the, on the podcast. As you well know, every time the podcast is finished, I rack my brains and I go, oh, I forgot to say this. I forgot right. to link this. I forgot. So last week, I watched the podcast and I went, oh my God, the IRS is losing 50,000 uh, employees over the next few years, not 5,000. And then uh, I looked again, I said, I called him Charles Lopez instead of Charles Perez, the TV talk show host. And then finally, somebody reminded me, you said that Joe Biden kept a Porsche in his garage. It was a Corvette Stingray. Right. Right. So I kept going, and it wasn't because I could have had a V8. Uh, so well, yeah. it's not a big deal. I mean, you're one of the few people who admits, yes, I made a mistake when uh, you make yeah. a mistake. Well, that's true. So Maybe that, that's... So that's fine. You shouldn't be embarrassed or, or shamed about any of it because you realize you're a regular well, person who makes mistakes. Uh, yeah, uh, that's true. I'm not ashamed. I'm just embarrassed. Now, someone who seems to have no shame is uh, George Santos. Now, George Santos... You know it already. He's lied about everything. He lied about where he went to college, what he did in college. He played volleyball. He had knee replacements. He lied about his mother dying on 9-11 in the Twin Towers. She wasn't even in the country. And recently, the latest uh, scandal about George Santos is that he was a drag performer in Brazil. And he denied it at first. Never happened. No, it's not me in those pictures. No, those people who say that I was there don't know what they're talking about. Well, he finally admitted it. Um, he, let's take a look at that clip. Look, guys. I wish you guys well. I'm going to go in an elevator and I'm going to go to my car and I'm going to go home. So. Not a drag queen in Brazil, guys. I was young and I had fun at a festival. Oh, he, he was young and he had fun at a, at a festival, dressing in drag. So he he's admitted it. Now, before this, when he lied about his Jewish ancestry, that is, I think it's his grandparents had fled um, Hitler uh, from Europe because they were Jewish. Uh, he, when that was pointed out, it was not true. He said, I never said I was Jewish. I said I was Jew-ish. So 
now he's admitting that he's not a drag queen. He was just drag queen-ish, I guess. Frankly, I wish George Santos would uh, dress in drag and go to Congress dressed in drag. He could really give Kristen Cinema a run for her money for most outrageous uh, outfit in the Congress. Uh, it, it's pretty obvious this guy has no conscience. He stole money from people. He, he stole money from a vet who was trying to save his dog from cancer. He stole money from his roommate. He's wanted for passing bad checks. Uh, in order to have shame, you have to have a conscience. And it's pretty obvious that he doesn't. Now, I'm going to go back to this clip because it's a famous statement that occurred in Congress about a man who also had no shame. Um, it was uh, Joseph McCarthy, who had made all sorts of attacks and allegations about other uh, members of the government and uh, people in the State Department. And when there was a congressional hearing, Joseph Welch, who was running the hearing, uttered these famous words. But you have done enough. Have right. you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency? All right. So people uh, and historians pretty much believe that was the end of Joseph McCarthy's run as a man without a conscience and and lying and doing damage uh, to other human beings. They couldn't remove him. But they voted 65 to 22 to condemn him in the Senate. And whenever he would enter a room, senators would walk away. He was isolated from everyone. Plus, he was stripped of his committee assignments. Now, why can't they do the same thing to, uh, to Santos? In the end, yes, Joe McCarthy remained in the Senate for three more years because they, they, they couldn't kick him out. He hadn't broken the law, just like Santos. But they could do what they did to uh, Joe McCarthy if they had any shame in the Republican Party. Um, actually, Joseph Welch, uh, Welch went on to be nominated for an Emmy he played a lawyer in the movie Anatomy of a Murder with the Jimmy Stewart later on, and uh, not an Emmy. He was a Best Supporting Actor at the Golden Globes, which I guess isn't as prestigious. And he died in 1960. Now, Joe McCarthy died of cirrhosis of the liver. He was a, a chronic drunk. And, you know, he died, um, I think, before his term ended. So, um, anyway, uh, my... There's an old saying that uh, there's Irish shame and Jewish guilt. And considering that my mother was uh, an Irish Catholic and my father was Jewish, I probably have both. Um, now, the last president didn't seem to have a conscience that would create a sense of shame. Whenever he attacked people, whenever he uh, lied about this, um, ten thousand lies is what one of the uh, is what one of the uh, headlines said. I think it was even more than that. But uh, David Brooks said, "Santos, George Santos is just a farcical version 
of where Donald Trump has taken the Republican Party. Uh, it's into a land of unreality, a land of constant lies and never any corrections for them. But, you know, we're all worried about George Santos, but Herschel Walker lied about his college. He lied about his police work. He lied even about the number of children he had. Uh, and yet the Republicans stood by him and, uh, you know, they didn't seem to care about all the lies. I mean, you have that uh, Elizabeth Holmes in Theranos uh, who had a machine that did nothing and built people out of a billion dollars. I mean, don't you think that you would be thinking every day I mean, well, I think every day about what I said wrong in last week's podcast. But if you were bilking people out of a billion dollars, don't you think every day of your life you would be like this? Oh, is anybody going to find out? Or if you lied about everything in your uh, resume, don't you think, oh, someday they're going to find out that I'm a big liar? Yes, they they will. But you get you get to the point of it because you talk about shame and shame is the biggest motivator to hide things. It's the thing we want to we want to avoid at all cost. And that's what kept her going. She didn't want the shame of being find out, found but, out. But 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 she had to anticipate that someday Certainly. people were going to say, hey, this is a piece of junk. It doesn't work, right? Well, I, I guess she was hoping, but shame got her. I think it's fantastical thing. I think there are people who either are born or they develop and they grow up without a conscience. Sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> and we we just elected one uh, president uh, for the last uh, term. Yeah. Now, it's different than just lying, you know, I think. But it's 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 not caring. There, there are people who have been shamed or caught in lying. But there was one psychologist who said this. Uh, he had a conversation with people who knew Trump pretty well. And he said, it was like being with an entity who was playing the role of Donald Trump and that he had no sense of continuity in what he was saying. He was, um, he was so immersed in whatever dominance battle he was fighting at the moment. Now I read that that's also from David Brooks co uh, column. And I thought, my God, that's always what I thought about Sean Hannity. Now, I worked with Sean Hannity. I shared a studio with him every night. He would walk to Fox News and I would walk home. And we were both in the same direction. So we would spend, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes most nights talking to each other. And I always thought, there is no center to this man. He's like a shark. He has his mouth open and whatever is in his way, he just devours it. And it's funny because over the years, Sean Hannity would have liberals on the show or Democrats, and he would say, don't you have a soul? Have you no soul? And ironically, that's the way I felt about Sean. It's not like I really disliked him. It's just that that was what he was like. He would say anything. He would do anything. Um, now, uh, we're all Joe Biden has made some big mistakes with the, you know, with the, with the, the documents that were found. He said, I have no regrets. Um, he said, there's no there there. I mean, at least he should have stepped out and said, I'm embarrassed that this happened. He should be 
even if he had nothing to do with it, he should be ashamed of what's happening because, you know, because of how we dealt with Donald Trump. But Republicans, uh, especially the Mike Turner, who's the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, was on the morning shows this Sunday. And they all excuse Trump and then create these fantastical stories about Biden uh, and China and the Biden business family. Take a look at this. This is Face the Nation. Is why did the president have these documents? Who did he show them to him? And is it connected uh, to the Biden family businesses? Well, you know the differences, of course, too. I want to talk about the Biden situation, but just to clarify, when you reference President Trump, there were 300 classified documents, there was a warrant, there was refusal to comply in terms of handing things over, and the White House and the president's lawyer are pointing out that in the case of Biden, he granted permission, and this was consensual for the DOJ to come in and search. Does the fact that the Justice well, Department well, conducted the search signify anything more to you and do you have any insight into the sensitivity of the documents sure absolutely i think this looks more like a cover-up than an investigation do you have any facts to back up your your allegations that he was hoarding things in terms of intention to take classified material versus it's been characterized that it was somehow accidental do you have any insight into what these materials were well, they didn't fly to his home without him. They went on a train with him from the, the, his Senate offices and then in boxes that he was in, in charge of. Uh, Senator Turner, chairman of the new House Intelligence Committee. Uh, I didn't hear an answer to that last question. Do you have any evidence? He didn't answer that question. And as for connections between these documents and the Biden business family, I mean, <laughs> come on. Trump is a businessman. The Trump organization is a corrupt business, as we found out in a New York court last week. We do know one thing you won't find on Hunter Biden's laptop is $2 billion from Saudi Arabia that was given to Jared Kushner. One thing you won't find on uh, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop are 16 patents that were given to Ivanka while her father was negotiating a trade deal with China. Now, this is what uh, Congressman Mike Turner had to say when the documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. Very different analysis. Take a look at this. The archivist, they don't cite the intelligence community. They don't cite the director of CIA, Department of Defense, or even the director of national intelligence as opining that these documents or this situation is a national security threat. They, they, they cite the archivist. So this sounds more like a bookkeeping issue than it is of a national security threat. As we all know, Donald Trump has more classified information in his head than he's likely to have in his desk. If this turns out to be you know, merely a clerical issue that the president, you know, in effect, checked out books too long from the archivist, uh, then this clearly is a political attack on the, the president of the United States. Uh, I think also this this raises the issue of the archivist doesn't get to decide what's classified. Just because someone's class something is labeled classified doesn't mean it is. Uh, well, is that also true for Joe Biden, Congressman Turner? Uh, yeah, Donald Trump was like taking out library books and uh, keeping them uh, too long, but past the return date. Right, it, Donald Trump was only a clerical error. But with Joe Biden, it's a vast conspiracy. Um, now, 
if a person had a conscience, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think that the possession of these documents is equally bad, even though the way you dealt with uh, returning the documents was not equally bad? So on the Sunday shows, you had several Democrats who, who said just that. Dick Durbin, he's the uh, second highest uh, Democratic member in the Senate, said, Biden should be embarrassed by this situation. Let's be honest about it. When that information is found, it diminishes the stature of any person who is in possession of it because it's not supposed to happen. The elected official bears the responsibility, ultimately. Joe Manchin, who is a Democratic senator from, uh, uh, from West Virginia, said, Biden should have a lot of regrets. You might as well say, listen, he's irresponsible. So you have Democrats coming out saying, yes, the possession of these documents is equal, uh, you know, in, 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 I guess, illegality um, or, not in, in, or improper irresponsibility because it's, it's not necessary, uh, necessarily uh, illegal just to possess them. You have to demonstrate an intent uh, you know, uh, to defraud the government by possessing them. But that, but that they're both very serious issues. While Republicans seem to have a different, uh, a different opinion when it comes to Biden and when it comes to Trump. Now, there are prosecutors that, not prosecutors, special counsels, I should say, that have been appointed to investigate both Trump and Biden. So there's equality there. Biden asked for the FBI to come to his house and search it, and they found six more documents. Yes, it was a 13-hour search of his house. Um, I guess Mar-a-Lago, which is much larger, uh, was about the, uh, about the same. So they've both been searched. They both had special counsels. You want to know something I found out this week? That Every president, including Nixon, since 1973, every presidential administration has had an investigation by either a special counsel or a special prosecutor, except one. Do you know who that one? Pre- hey, do you know who that one president is, uh, Albert? Take a guess. I don't know. If, if Trump. No, he had a oh, no, no special counsel. You said, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's special... that one president? Um, uh, w. No, Barack Obama. Barack Obama. Right. I okay. thought it was going to be a, a sneak attack here with a with a Republican getting the uh, getting <laughs> on that one. Okay. Well, they're not too happy about the special counsel who was um, chosen to investigate uh, Trump. Oh, to investigate Biden even though he was appointed by Donald Trump, even though he worked for um, Ray, who's the head of the FBI, appointed by Trump. I mean, there's just no satisfying them. And when it comes to having shame, uh, uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida hit a doubleheader this week. He was found to be guilty of unconstitutional behavior twice. A judge found that after he fired uh, this prosecutor, 
I believe it's in Tampa, uh, for signing a petition uh, uh, that uh, people, doctors who perform abortions shouldn't be prosecuted. That it violated his first amendment rights. The first amendment of the constitution was violated, but it also violated the Florida constitution. Now, Ron DeSantis doesn't care about the law as he demonstrated when he took um, uh, um, asylum seekers from Texas and flew them to Martha's Vineyard. Even though the law states specifically that the money that he used, which incidentally was COVID relief money, <laughs> From the federal government, it, the law says specifically that it's to be used to remove uh, illegal aliens from Florida. So he didn't care about the law, the letter of the law, the um, uh, what do you call the textualism of the law. He didn't care about the Florida Constitution, which has an amendment that says um, uh, partisan gerrymandering uh, should be uh, forbidden. Um, <clears throat> he didn't care about that. He dragged the redistricting map away from the legislature and made up his own map, calling in Republican consultants from the National Party to create a map that would give uh, uh, Republicans a tremendous advantage. So now he's found to have violated both the federal constitution and the Florida constitution. And um, the judge said, I I can't reinstate him because that's not the role of a judge under Florida law. He's obeying Florida law. But what did the DeSantis campaign say? This is a win for both here, a win for both the governor and a win for the people in Florida, violating the constitutions of both the state and the federal government is a win for DeSantis. Talk about putting lipstick on a pig. All right. So, um, you know, in my life, I mean, I guess I've had some external shame. When I did the Richard May show, there were, you know, a lot of critics. Last week I showed you Joe Lieberman. There were people saying, this is terrible what you're doing. I had my former uh a program director from KYW called me up and say, what have you done? You've destroyed your career by doing this. My own brother said to me, you could have been the next Matt Lauer. Instead, you are the next Soupy Sales. I mean, I replied to him, I'd rather be Soupy Sales. Soupy Sales was an imaginative, original, talented guy. Matt Lauer is a guy who wears GQ suits extremely well, much better than I do, and sits in front of a teleprompter reading. Uh, you know, I would I wanted to be in a field where I could be creative. And the Richard Bay Show, I think, whether you liked it or not, was a creative enterprise. So I'm not embarrassed by, you know, uh, by the Richard Bay Show. Yeah, I did serious interviews with politicians and movie stars and newsmakers. And then I did something that was silly and funny. Just as if I was in the theater, I could play the tragedy of Macbeth. And I, I did play uh, in, in a lot of Shakespeare. And I could also do a comedy, a silly comedy. So uh, if anything, I, I, I'm, I'm proud that I could have done both of those things in the course of my career. Now, last week we had an interview with, or no, two weeks ago, it was Richard Harris, 
um, who talked about some regrets. But uh, today, some of his comments fit in with this whole idea of shame. In 1967, Richard Harris made a movie with Doris Day. It was called Caprice. And, well, take a look at the uh, promo for it. <laughs> now, just try it. It's nice. Christopher, Come you're rushing me. I always wait at least an hour after eating. Caprice, a whimsical perfume. swing? It's a swinging bed. And it swings Doris Day and Richard Harris into a whirlpool of color, <laughs> danger, and love. Caprice. Oh boy, doesn't that take you back to the 1960s? Doris Day coyly saying, oh, uh, I, I never do it you know, until an hour after eating. Like, uh, uh, we don't know what she's talking about. A swinging bed that swings. Uh, uh. And even the, <laughs> the thing that they appropriated from the old Batman television series in the 60s. Wham! When somebody gets punched. <laughs> it's a product of its time. But Richard Harris was so embarrassed by that movie. And so shamed by it, more than embarrassed. I think he was shamed because he he went to extraordinary, um, extraordinary uh, uh, fashions, not to ever have to see that movie, or to have people see what he called a pile of rubbish. Listen to this. A break. I told you I'd give you, give you a chance to finish that story. Oh, the about... story about Doris Day. So, so anyway, I made this story. So I made this funny story. So I made the picture, okay? And then I was in New York, and I got a, a, a phone call from my lawyer in London saying I had to come back to sign a deposition. I had to be in court by the following day, so I had to get back and fly overnight. would arrive in London at 7 in the morning, sign the piece of paper, and then I'd go to court at 12 o'clock, okay? So I, 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 I luckily get onto an aeroplane. On a, on a TWA flight, I remember easily, and I'm sitting and I get on and I'm taking off my shoes and I got my little overnight slippers on, being very sort of middle class, <laughs> and looking forward to a large vodka and tonic. When a very pretty stewardess came up and said, oh, Mr. Harris, we've got a wonderful surprise for you. I said, really, what is it? We're showing Caprice. <laughs> and I said, I am going to be up 30,000 feet, 600 miles an hour, with 300 angry people watching this piece of rubbish. I said, no way. I put my shoes on, picked up my bag, downed a drink, and off the plane. Well, you also said recently that you only made two good movies in the last 10 years. Doris Days was wonderful, and she really is. She's a smashing woman, okay? But here is a picture I really didn't want to do. And I was not sort of, at the time, I wasn't working or offered any work, so I agreed to do it. And then, I, and then before we started to shoot, I got Camelot, okay? So I decided I didn't want to do the movie with Doris Day. I wanted to do, I was going to do Camelot, and that would redeem me, okay? Well, the studio, uh, Fox, 20th Century Fox, wouldn't let me up. As you have to do it. They forced me to do it, so I did it. But I never wanted to see it. It was a disaster. I'm the only man in the world who ever played Doris Day's part. She played mine, I played hers. <laughs> it's true, she decided before the picture began that she didn't like her part, that my part was a better part, okay? So, so Christina in the script became Christopher. I actually played Doris, You're serious. Day. I played Doris Day's role. No. I, yes, and 
She became a Pat, uh, Patricia became Patrick. <laughs> Once again, uh, in case you're wondering, who is that beautiful woman sitting next to Richard on the couch? Uh, that is Dana Helger, and she was my co-host uh, for the first year um, on People Are Talking at KYW-TV. So, um, you know, in the course of preparing this podcast, I, 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 I'm I, looking over old tapes, trying to find things that will be appropriate to the topic. And uh, I've watched a lot of clips of the old Richard Bay show. And you want to know something? When I watch it, it makes me laugh. And I was there. And finally, there were two letters I received when I did the Richard Bay show that I, I wish I had them. Maybe they'll turn up in a box like uh, classified documents in uh, Joe Biden's garage. But I don't have these letters anymore. One woman wrote me a letter and she said, my son would always come home with his girlfriend. And I told them they would have to leave the door open upstairs when they were in there together alone. Uh, and I'd hear them burst out laughing. And she's, I'd go, hey, what are you guys doing up there? And they would say, it's Richard Bay, Mom. And I would say, what's a Richard Bay? And she said, my son was killed in a drive-by shooting last week. And I just returned from the funeral. And I sat down in front of the TV. I'm just devastated. And I went through the dials trying to find something to watch. I came across your show and I started to watch it and I laughed and I felt connected again to my son. So thank you for bringing that joy in his life. Another mother wrote me a letter saying that her son was in the hospital and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And she said, you know, I went to see him in the hospital. I go to see him every single day. And he often says to me, what do you think Richard Bay will have on his show tomorrow? Will it be the wheel of torture? Will he be Judge Bay in his court of no appeal? Um, will, will they, you know, have the voice of truth? And she said, it's the one thing that he looks forward to every day. So I want to thank you for giving him that. So, you know, listen, with all the Richard Bay shaming and criticism and whatever it might have done to my career. Those two letters that I received, and I wish to God they would turn up somewhere in a box. Uh, make that all up to me. Thank you for watching the podcast today. And remember, uh, share it with friends, tell people about it. And um, subscribe. This way you'll never miss an episode. Take care. And from Albert and me, all our best to you.